0: black canary. I'll need a sparring partner.
1: I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons?
2: Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for-
1: A special episode of Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm Ryan Daly and today I am talking about neither Black Canary nor Zatanna. Instead, I'm walking across the street to talk about a Marvel superhero who used to rock a whole fishnet bodysuit. You may remember last year I dropped a special episode before Spider-Man Homecoming wherein I discussed Black Widow's fishnet costume from an issue of The Amazing Spider-Man. This time, for Avengers Infinity War, I'm talking about the green-skinned assassin turned guardian of the galaxy, Gamora. Long before Zoe Saldana portrayed her on the big screen, Gamora was introduced as Thanos' pet assassin, who dressed in a slightly darker green fishnet bodysuit with a sort of gold-braided belt and hair so long and so black that it kind of resembled a shaggy half-cape covering her backside. Most, if not all, of Gamora's appearances in this original costume were told by writer-artist Jim Starlin. And because of that, I had to reach out to the guys who cover this era of Gamora's history on the Warlock Thanos podcast. Ladies and gents, please welcome my guests this episode. First, Mr. Al Sedano. Welcome to the show, Al.
3: Thank you, Ryan. Happy to be here.
1: Thank you. Happy to have you. And Al's co-host, a man I recorded with back on the Secret Origins podcast, Mr. John M. Wilson. What's up, John?
4: Not a whole lot. I'm happy to be back. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a while. And I promise I know this material better than I knew that freaking red tornado and <laughs> Mr. America stuff. <laughs>
1: Ah, you know what? I I couldn't even remember what episode it was. It's, been, I was it's
4: like, okay. I it, it had been a week or two since I had read the comics, yeah. and I meant to reread them.
1: No, I, I was, Yeah, I was even thinking back. I was like, John was on some episode covering some Golden Age characters I don't care about.
4: <laughs> right, right. So,
1: before we even get to Gamora, um, because she was introduced as a supporting character in the saga starring Adam Warlock and Thanos... Let's talk about them really quick and, Al, why you started the podcast. Um, What was it about Adam Warlock and Thanos that made you want to talk about their stories?
3: Well, I mean, it goes back to some of my earliest stuff reading comics. Uh, I mean, they're not my first ones I read, but they were still pretty early when the Infinity Gauntlet happened. I started reading regularly in 87, and Infinity Gauntlet was like 91, and they did that uh, Warlock reprint series that reprinted all of the Starlin stuff from the 70s. And even though it was still, good, what, 15, 16 years old at the time, it was still mind-blowing and completely different from the other stuff I was reading. And just from there on, I just got sucked into that whole Starlin's cosmic and Warlocks, you know, navel-gazing depression (laughs) and Thanos' wanting to destroy everything but not wanting to destroy everything. And the fact that they were the closest thing they had to friends, just the whole world just kind of sucked me in. So when I was starting to do a podcast, decided I wanted to do a podcast finally instead of just listening – it just kind of felt like the most natural thing. I'm like, wow, well, you know, I really love this stuff and no one's doing it, so I might as well.
1: John, how did you discover those characters and how did you get attached to uh, Al's podcast? Because you weren't there from the beginning.
4: I wasn't there from the beginning. I, I'm on there now because I invited myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. It involved asking really nicely and a transfer of some sum of money. Um <laughs> But I'm not sure if that money actually got to Al or was intercepted by one of the various podcasting networks we have out there. I suspect Shag might have taken it, but I don't know. Um, anyways, how did I, got I meet? a quarter. You got a quarter. <laughs> Adam Warlock was in the um, Infinity War, which is the name of the movie coming out. But the Infinity War comics crossover back in 1992 was my first big Marvel event. Even though I was reading comics when Infinity Gauntlet came out, I was still pretty new to it and it just wasn't on my radar at all. So I read Infinity War, and of course, the Magus is in that, Thanos is in that, and you get a few flashbacks of the 1970s stuff between uh, Adam and, and Magus. And I was kind of captivated by that and always, you know, wondered if I ever get a chance to read it. And then, as an adult diving into the digital comics realm, I'm able to like read these stories. So I read the Starlin run, and that's pretty cool. Then I find out there's other stuff. So I read them. Um, I forget who created who who started the run, the Jesus stuff. Uh, was oh uh,
3: that- Roy Thomas and Gil Kane.
4: Okay, so Roy Thomas's idea, they got taken up by several other writers, where he's basically Jesus Christ superstar on another planet. It's just <laughs> a big metaphor for that for that so- uh, story. And then I realized that that put the opening concepts of Jim Starlin's saga in a whole other light because it was a taking that and spinning it on its head in a way. Anyways, not to go into all that because we you know that on the other podcast, but Adam Warlock quickly became one of my favorite lower tier characters. I mean, obviously he's got the powers of a god nearly, but he's kind of c when it comes to like, you know, popularity and, and people knowing what an Adam Warlock is. <laughs>
0: um,
4: so, yeah, um, I found out I was doing the podcast. I listened to a few episodes and then I was like, Hey, you know, he's one of my favorite guys. Can I, can I come talk to? <laughs> and so that's how that happened.
1: Very cool. Yeah. I actually, I was telling, I was mentioning this to Al uh, before we started the show. It was, it was a couple of months ago when I was like looking at and I, I kind of had this realization, this epiphany about Gamora and her early costume and I was like, Oh man, I definitely need to do a special episode of Power Fishnets just dedicated to her because of her costume and how, you know, sexy it looked with just this Fishnet bodysuit. And I was like, Isn't there somebody out there doing a you know, an Adam Warlock Thanos podcast? And at that point I hadn't listened to it. I was like, I gotta I gotta dive in and check. And it just happened to be right around the same time. It was like a week after I started listening to the, the back episodes of the show that you guys started the the, the Jim Starlin run. Um, So it was like perfect timing because then once you did that, I started reading those uh, back issues on uh, Marvel Unlimited because Batman and G.I. Joe were my gateway drugs into comics. But throughout most of the 90s and early 2000s, I was a Marvel guy. But Marvel Cosmic was always sort of the blind spot for me. Um, Other than like a six or eight month run of Silver Surfer, I did not get into a lot of Marvel cosmic stuff, and I wasn't reading any of the Infinity stuff. Eventually, I went back and read Infinity Gauntlets, you know, because you had to. Um, but I don't think it had the same impact on me the first time around because I didn't know the characters. I didn't know much about Thanos or Adam Warlock or or Mephisto and Nebula. I just I wasn't as familiar with this this whole schema. I was just looking at, you know, all of these characters thrown together on on this mission that they were completely ill ill ill-equipped for um but then going back reading the starlin saga that you know began with strange tales and picked up with warlock and the magus and the church universal church of truth culminating with the two annuals that you guys will will get to and eventually and then reading it i was like okay that was kind of that that was the first time i really got into uh, to warlock and really liked those characters and liked those stories um and folks for those of you listening if you haven't picked up on it by now, this episode is going to be a little different than a lot of the podcasts I do because I'm not reviewing a particular issue. This is going to be a character spotlight. We're going to talk about Gamora in general. How is she used in her original appearances? How is she used now? Uh, how she features in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So, uh, for you guys, I mean, when did you first discover her? Was was it through the Starlin run or, I mean, you know... Uh, John, you were talking about, like, sort of in those Infinity War books, was, mm-hmm. uh, like, like what was your first impressions of the character, I could ask?
4: Uh, she's a warrior woman. Um, I've always felt like she was this, you know, badass femme Patel. Um, and she, I think in my brain, kind of conflated with Moondragon a little bit, because, you know, I was a mm-hmm. kid in the 90s reading comics and then trying to remember stuff 15, 20 years later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was through Infinity War and then the Infinity Watch issues that came after that, that I got to know Gamora a little bit. And then going back and reading her stuff from the 70s, got to see a bit more there. I was very, very excited when I heard that she was going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. I was like, oh, yeah, Gamora! And Zoe Saldana was great on Star Trek. She got to be do this role, too. So I was excited to hear her coming up.
3: Yeah, uh, almost the same thing. When I, Like I said, it started with uh, Infinity War. So she's in the first issue barely. And then she goes away for most of the uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Mm -hmm. She's only in issues one and six. But they had that Warlock reprint coming out, I think, right after that. So that's where I got the introduction, the original Starlin stuff. And, yeah, she is this awesome femme fatale. And not just femme fatale, but, I mean, really badass. I mean, there's that one issue that we just did, John, Warlock 10, where it's her, Warlock, and Thanos against, like, an army of 25,000. And they're winning. (laughs) But it's not just that. It's that her and Adam, like... There was a hint of something, but let's say take the Catwoman-Batman dynamic, except make Catwoman even less interested in that than Batman normally is and less aware of it, and then make Batman even less sexually aware, and that's Adam and Gamora. (laughs) Like, they have the potential and something could be going on there, but considering his origins and her being raised by Thanos, neither one really have a clue what to do with it or how to act. So it's really also great when you're 15, and basically that's your life anyway.
4: Well, evidently it, it actually happened between her and Tony Stark in a recent ish issue that um, Tony Stark like had to recover from. So,
3: well, <laughs> oh, yeah, she's been around since. You know, been around since, but at least in the beginning. No,
4: I'm just saying that like Adam didn't know what to do with it. It's probably it's probably better off for his just general state of health that he didn't know what to do with all that.
1: Yeah, it's it strikes me like other than Infinity Gauntlet, which. Again, I I didn't really know who she was at the time that I was reading it, so she didn't leave as much of an impression on me at that time. But I think I first discovered her in the comics in the Annihilation books um, Mm. in the 2000s. And I don't think it was the first one. I think it was Annihilation Conquest, which had the phalanx, I think? Yes. Well, Yeah, that was was the phalanx one. And she is possessed and basically appears as like a femme fatale... Who who corrupts uh, uh, Nova, um, and in that she's not wearing the fishnets. She's wearing you know, less. I think it's basically like you know like, um, Belts? like yeah, it's like tape, basically tape covering covering her parts. And then she's got a long cape and a sword. Um, and they really play into how sexualized she is with the art and everything. And her her whole thing is like lure, trying to seduce him and everything. So my first impression of her was as this very deadly but very sort of sexual and beautiful woman and then then retroactively going back well then probably seeing the movies and then going back and reading the the starlin comics and looking at at who she is as this assassin with primarily one job and we can actually get to that um for those of you listen the character's backstory in brief gamora is the last surviving member of the zen Wuberry or Woolberry
3: I have no idea how to pronounce it, so yeah, sure, that sounds good.
4: Yeah, I'm looking at the words right now. That sounds as good as anything else.
1: All right. The Zen Wilberry race. Um, And depending on your source, uh, she was either adopted or rescued or kidnapped by Thanos, uh, who augmented her physically and trained her to be an assassin. In fact, when she debuted in issue 180 of Strange Tales, she was known as the deadliest woman in the galaxy. Throughout Strange Tales 181 and the last couple issues of Warlock's own self-titled series, we learn that Thanos sent Gamora to kill the Magus and eliminate the Universal Church of Truth. She fails to do so, but gets caught up with Adam Warlock's drama. By the end of that series, it appears as though Gamora is killed by Drax the Destroyer. The next time we see her is in Avengers Annual 7, where with her dying breath, she tells Adam about Thanos' plan to commit basically universal genocide. And Adam Warlock pulls Gamora or her essence somehow into the soul stone on his head. Um, and then after Infinity Gauntlet, you know, she sort of revived and she becomes part of the Infinity Watch. Um, Al and John, with apologies for spoiling the next couple episodes of your show. Um, <laughs> did I miss anything major about like her early history in that?
3: Uh, except the t- whole t- uh, time travel elements to the beginning of it, because originally she was from the future. She was. She was from the few fu- Yes, originally she was from somewhere in the future, from nineteen, you know, from the seventies. That the magus is the magus had her race killed, and Thanos went to the future, rescued her, then brought her back for in, not just into the present time, but in the past to raise her, because that was the whole point. Was that he was hoping that was the whole reason why she's. Um, if you read those issues, the magus doesn't notice her at right, all until right. so the last second before he's about to kill him because he's hoping that with this whole cosmic time thing with her that she's from the future but now from raised in the past that oh she yeah would yeah yeah go under his cosmic senses and he wouldn't realize she was there until it was too late
1: I, yeah i completely forgot about that aspect you're right yeah she was time displaced and that was supposed to that was kind of thanos's ace in the hole that she was kind of like that blank spot that blind spot on on the Magus' radar yeah
4: one thing i want to add also is that um When she appears to be killed by Drax the Destroyer in Warlock issue 15, uh, that was likely the start of another plot thread that would have continued in future issues. Mm -hmm. She's flying a vehicle to Adam Warlock. Drax finds her in space out of nowhere, collides with the front of her ship, and we're left wondering what happened. And Jim Starlin walks away from Marvel. So we don't get a resolution there because he was no longer writing the story. Um, Archie Goodwin convinced him to come back and write the two annuals. And you know, however much time has passed, she uh, is you know in a different state of affairs. But that whole series of events does get referenced whenever she comes back in the '90s before Infinity Gauntlet.
1: Yeah, because in Avengers Seven, like it opens up with her dying and like Adam Warlock coming to her just as she's dying. But it seems like the setup to how she's dying is completely different. It looks like yeah, she Thanos discovered Thanos' plan, and he killed her. And you're kind of like, so what was that whole thing with Drax? Like, And, and yeah, I knew that it was just because the Warlock series was, like, canceled, didn't get resolved because of Starlin. But,
3: yeah, yeah, Starlin basically did a Cartman. It was like, screw you guys, I'm going home. <laughs> and they, I guess they decided instead of continuing on with somebody else, they just ended it. But yeah, and also for Origin, the thing is now, and I've been looking around, and I mean, I haven't read everything with her, so maybe I'll find it eventually. They wrecked, Now, obviously, once the Universal Church of Truth was erased, that whole thing was changed. So now her race was killed by the Badoon. So I don't think the time travel element is now there anymore in her origin. But I'm also not 100% certain why Thanos took her in. Because there was the original point, I mean, if the new timeline now, because originally the point was kill the Magus. Now, since there's no – of course, that's the whole timey-wimey thing is that now the Magus doesn't exist. It's like, so then why did he take her in in the first place? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, just within the last year or so, there was a five-issue Gamora series uh, written by Nicole Perlman, who is one of the – she's given a co-writing credit on the Guardians of the Galaxy screenplay. I really think she she wrote the first draft. James Gunn signed on to direct and basically rewrote almost everything. I don't. I I think very little of her original, other than maybe the cast and the characters that she was working with. That's um, great. But I also I think she might be working on the Captain Marvel movie too. She might have been writing okay. that one. Um, but anyway, I read
3: that last night actually. She,
1: yeah, she wrote the the five issue series. Which, reading that, I was like, is this in the movie universe, like the movie timeline, or is this the main Marvel Comics universe, or is it supposed to be both? Because um, yeah, it I'm... really it really feels like he's there, she's playing into the Gamora-Nebula-Thanos triangle and this relationship oh, yeah. and everything. But yeah, that one is all about her trying to get revenge on the Badoon for wiping out her people.
3: Yeah, and originally, because Nebula had nothing, up until the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Nebula had nothing to do with Gamora. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was just somebody, a space pirate who claimed to be Thanos' granddaughter, and I don't even know if they ever confirmed it or not.
4: Although I mean, it's one of those things of taking two disparate characters that have a similar connection and then making them connected to each other. It's it's the kind of storytelling that is useful in a movie when you're consolidating your universe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah I, I never knew anything about Nebula anymore until that movie happened, as far as them being connected.
3: Yeah, Nebula was just, I mean, as far as I was concerned, I was really no interest in the character before. And she was, uh, the few times I read her, she was just kind of boring, generic space pirate. Mm. The most interesting things with her I ever read was in the uh, Infinity Gauntlet, especially in that last yeah, issue yeah, yeah, tor- where she steals tor- the yeah. gauntlet.
1: Which yeah, otherwise we'll see if zombie. that pl- plays a factor into the movie. Um, it definitely looks like from like the last uh, trailer that came out for the movie, it looks like we're getting a flashback to Thanos adopting or meeting a young Gamora. Um, there's a shot yes. and it looks like it might be on her homeworld where he comes up to her and she's very little and she takes his hand and they walk off. And it looks like it's either his army of like the the outriders, or it could be the the Chitauri from the first one. But they're like holding back lines of other green skinned people. I think, I think that's going to be him taking her away and maybe wiping out the Zenwillberry her people.
4: Which I had not put the two into together what I was seeing there until Al just mentioned it. Actually, we just recorded our Warlock Ten coverage this uh, this uh, yeah, and he mentioned that. I was like, oh yeah, that was that. So it's neat. That they're they're using Gamora's information and not just I mean, honestly, other than having some cool fight scenes, Gamora has not had a whole lot of character in the comic and in, in the movies beyond her tense sister relationship with Nebula. Mm-hmm. So the most stuff she got to do as a person besides being Chris Pratt's love interest was in the final act of the second movie. Before that, she was just kind of there.
3: And, Which and I, reflects the original Gamora anyway. She just, was just kind of there in the seventies. Uh,
1: <laughs> that, that was kind of as I was doing more research for this character. That was one of the things that I was finding out is she is a supporting character. She she might have the potential to be her own like leading character, and we could see more comics with her. But throughout her history, she has been a supporting character, either a tool of Thanos' will, like sending her on her own on these missions. Or she's been a love interest, or a femme fatale, or something else. But it's kind of—I don't want to say she's never had her own agency, but she has kind of been relegated to a supporting or a team player status, um, just based on the nature of her creation. And I think we see it play into the movies too, in that she's just she's part of this group, this Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's kind of when you have a character like that that's introduced for that way in in comics it's very rare that they get to break away and and have their own series their own adventures it's kind of the sort of the x-men syndrome when you look at something like the avengers where you had all of these characters with their own individual identities their own stories coming together to form a team it's easy for them to also separate and break apart and you can follow them all with something like the x-men they're all created to have the same group to be part of the same group which is why very few X-Men characters break away from the the team and have their own ongoing solo adventures. I mean, Wolverine is a big one. Mystique had a series for a while. Gambit has uh, maybe 12-issue series or something. A lot of them have had short miniseries. Yeah, but yeah in a
4: miniseries, you have like a single story idea. You got to tell that about that character and Right, you're done.
1: exactly. Yeah, you get to do that with Iceman or Rogue or Cyclops or Storm or something like that. But ultimately, they're always going to find their way back home because they weren't created with their own I did. they were created to be part of the group, and I feel like Gamora is sort of at least so far, she's always kind of been in that trap. She was created to be a supporting player in this Thanos and Warlock drama. And now she's part of the Guardians of the Galaxy drama. And you, you were kind of like picking up when she was in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I didn't really find her that interesting. Um mm-hmm. I thought the I thought Gamora and Drax were the weakest parts of the group in that first movie but I loved her in the second movie. I thought the stuff between Gamora and and Nebula was great in the second movie. Um I also thought Drax and Yandu were better in the second movie like it sort of they they flipped the characters that I cared about. So yeah, we will see, especially going into Avengers Infinity War. It's Gamora and Net, like We know that Thanos is going to be the big bad, and, and we've got like two dozen superheroes going up against him. Nebula and Gamora are the only two with a personal stake, a personal investment in who this guy is. So it'll be very interesting to see how their story plays out in the movie.
3: Yeah, it's also interesting how they use them in the movies because, like you said, um, it's funny. If you look at it, read the original 70s stuff and even the stuff that Starlins did in the 90s. And you look at that character and then read the stuff that came out from Annihilation on. And there's a big change to the character, too. Mm. She is – because if you read that original stuff, you read the stuff now, it's almost a different person. She was not this – well, yes, she was the deadliest woman in the the galaxy and ready to fight and able to obviously hold her own very much – But she did not have this super hard edge, I'm ready to go kill everybody, beat the hell out of everybody for fun, that she had in like the current Guardian of the Galaxy series, let's say. And it was fun. It was was funny. I was thinking about this the other day as I'm reading them, and I realized Gamora, as played by Zoe Saldana, is the Gamora of Starlin from the 70s and to the 90s. The Gamora from Annihilation on is basically played by Nebula. Hmm. They basically took the versions of Gamora, and they have both of them on there. They just used the name Nebula. Interesting.
1: Uh, yeah, I can sort of see that. Like thinking about thinking about how she was depicted in the Annihilation books that I've seen. Yeah, I can – I mean it's definitely a different take on the character. I'm uh, certainly a different writer,
3: but I can see that. Well, yeah, because I mean she's a much more – not just harder edge, but the violence and fighting is much more fun and entertaining to her. Mm-hmm. I mean when they had that brief time when they had uh, – what was her name from uh, Image? Angela. Angela, yeah, yeah. Like the two of them, they would have like the two of them just like for fun going, you know, fighting everybody, just because they found that amusing. You know, they were like best, they were but they were besties because they loved running around killing everything. And while the original version of Gamora could do that, that wasn't her idea of a good time. She had more of a heart, so to speak. I mean, you know, or a heart that wasn't as covered up. Mm-hmm. And I was also reading some stuff on her origin that said that Thanos might have. Um, in, there was some speculation. I'm not sure if it was just on Wikipedia, it was speculation or in the books. That when the, Thanos had originally rescued her from the Universal Church of Truth, he had altered his perceptions of, her perceptions of it so he wouldn't see as harsh. And I wonder if that has something to do with it, that that version of Gamora was raised by a Thanos who was pretending a bit to care, you know, a bit. And because the current version now, including that Gamora miniseries, Thanos, I mean, he just like, look, I like this one better. But other than that, I really don't give a damn. Mm. Hmm. Oh, that's my crazy theory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you think she deserves the title Deadliest Woman in the Galaxy?
4: See, I was thinking about that, too. Um, I did not get the impression from the film that she was the deadliest woman in the galaxy. Um, and then rereading the stuff from the 70s, I don't know. I don't see it.
1: I, I, think, it's, I think it's tough because she, she's introduced as this assassin with a single target, Kill the Magus, and she fails. So, like, it, basically, uh, like, she's shown to be a badass, she kicks the crap out of the army, we see her getting some good action licks in, but, it, like, the you had one job, like, she she doesn't get that done, so we don't ever actually see her doing what she has this cred for. I actually think, and, like, going back to the movie, I think one of her best moments in the first movie it was cut out of the movie, like if you watch like the Blu-ray or look at like the video with one of the deleted scenes, there's a scene between her and when when Ronan first says you know he's gonna send Nebula to go get the orb from uh, Xandar, and um, Gamora talks him into sending her instead of Nebula. After that, there's a scene when Gamora is going with three or four of the they're not the Badjoo,n but whatever the the alien races that um, that uh, Ronan is commanding. Um, there's a shot, and this is before we know that she's going to be p- betraying him, but uh, Gamora gets into one of the ships with these three or four lackeys, and they're like, yeah, we're ready to go. And she's like, "You know, we're going to get this orb. It's too bad that there's so many casualties suffered. And they're like, what do you mean casualties? And she turns around and like effortlessly kills all of these guys in the ship. And then oh, I then I goes saw that. Yeah, it's it's a deleted scene. It's a, but like look for it, and then she goes off, and the next time we would see her is when she's outside the broker's um, little office when she meets uh, Peter. So at that point, you're like, okay, she's going rogue, but you don't know what her agenda is. Um, and then you would find out that she was she was going to betray Ronan in that way. Um, but I just like that moment because of how like how clearly and how effortlessly she just kills all of these guys, just like slaughters them. Because the next time we see her in the movie. She gets taken down by Rocket and Peter and, and arrested, and then when she's in the the whatever the Gulag is called, I can't I can't think of it. The kiln. The kiln, yeah. When she's there, like there's like a group of guys like that grab her and they're gonna like shank her like in in one of like the lower cells and everything. I was like, this is this woman is not the badass that you told me she is. Like you're not you're not selling that mm-hmm. in the movie.
4: We're doing uh, Warlock 10, and there's the part you know with her whole origin story one of the things is that she got to go and kill all of the, what are they called? Black Knights. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah she black got Knights. to go kill all the black Knights who would have had the role of destroying her planet in the uh, previous timeline. So we speculated that perhaps that's how she got the moniker of, mm-hmm. Deadliest of the galaxy. Cause she actually does go on a really massive killing spree. One woman killing spree. Um, then you don't get really to see a that, whole lot of that, and
1: is that just like – do we actually see that or is that explained in
4: – I think like, it's like a one – Yeah, okay. it's a panel. Okay. yeah, Because I, it's I an think, origin montage.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think if Starlin had stayed, we would have less question about it because I think if he had stayed, we would have kind of more seen a Warlock series that was basically Warlo- the trio, Warlock, Gamora, and Pip. And obviously, it would have been more. Gamora was doing, you know, and Adam doing all the fighting and in, in there. So we would have seen a lot more of the example of that. As but because it got canceled, her story just got cut so short.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then later on, when they come back for after that. It's part of the Infinity Watch. So now you have like five or six characters. It's not just her. You also have Drax the Destroyer. At the time when he's basically the Hulk.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very simple. I did like, well, is it issue 8 of Warlock and the Infinity Watch? I
3: think they are just fighting Thanos?
1: Yeah, it's basically yes. like half of the issue is taken up by Gamora fighting Thanos. I love that issue. Um, and I, I just liked seeing the, the two of them fight, and that one kind of sold me. I was like, okay, now I see the potential that I think Starlin was hinting at, but didn't really convey in, in the issues that he was doing.
3: Um, yeah, that those are, so those are some of the best ones for early the early version of Gamora, the pre-annihilation eight and nine of Infinity Watch, because mm-hmm. nine has a bit of, more of her origin, and that's also mostly just her and the issue, and that crossover.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So those are two good ones to read with her.
1: Um, I mean, this was most of. I just kind of wanted to talk about the the character. If there were other if there are other comics that you wanted to highlight, but before before uh, taking off. The, I mean, I, I need to address this because this is the central premise of the podcast, which is the the fishnet's angle. Um, so I can say, I love her original look. It's it's the the fishnet bodysuit with the long hair that kind of like looks like a sh- sort of shaggy cape around her. It's it it reminds me of like a. a um, like a Howard, like a Conan or Red Sonia type of thing. There's like a barbarian look about it, except for the green skin. Um, and setting it in space, it, it, it seems like, uh, it kind of, like it feels to me like a, a cross between Conan and like the Orion slave girls of Star Trek. Um, and there's just something about it that just kind of seems very cool, but also very 60s and 70s. Um, and yes, sexy and, I think James Gunn was probably uh, like, he was he was throwing shade at me personally when he did not dress Zoe Saldana that way in the movie, but no obviously Jim. Yeah. Actually I will say in her in the first movie, she does have sort of a fishnet or a sheer tank top on underneath her black vest um when she fights um Peter and Rocket and Groot on Xandar before before they get captured. So there is a little bit of a nod to it in her first her first appearance in the movie, but um, for you guys, and and you, you know, don't have to come across as, as salacious as I do. But what do you guys think of her fishnet
3: costume? Oh, it's my personal favorite—the uh, one she's had. Plus, like you said, it has that um, sword and sorcery esque, which mm-hmm. makes sense because what usually what she's using is a is a sword or some kind of knife. You know, she's not using blasters; she's using bladed weapons, and she also has that belt with like that kind of uh, fringe, like. Mm-hmm. Loincloth like look to it. And I also like that also because, besides, yeah, it does look great and attractive, but you could also kind of go like, except for that little bit in the middle of the slick down, she's fully, pretty much fully covered. You Mm. can almost go with that as like, it's body armor and it makes more sense for what she's doing than, you know, a couple of belts and a cloak. Right. Right. I mean, it's not covering anything, it's not protecting anything. And all I can think of with her cloak is the way she moves around and does stuff is that's going to get stuck in something and she's going to have to, like, you know, drop it or get choked out.
1: <laughs> I understand it's just it's it's a fact of like the times like I I would never expect to see a costume like that on the big screen. But something about like the costumes in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies for all the ways that those movies are great, I feel like the costuming is like everybody kind of looks like they're just wearing cat clothes. conventional clothes. yeah, just sort of like street clothes or whatever and it's Yeah. But it they're they're not as like they're not as like crazy retro street clothes like Star Wars, but they're also not like they don't seem exotic or alien. It's like and she's just wearing a leather. She looks like a biker in space, which could be cool, but it's I don't get the sense of exoticness that I, I would hope for. But
4: yeah, I in my head Gamora is wearing the outfit that she wears in the seventies. Mm-hmm. When I think of Gamora, that's what I imagine. It, it has seventies sci-fi written all over it. It's probably much more practical being drawn than in, in reality, mm-hmm. although I like Al's idea that, you know, perhaps that's some sort of, like, steel mesh or
3: something that's...
1: Yeah, actually, like, a, um, like almost like a ninja's body suit. Like It would almost be, like, just a green version of what Black Widow wears.
3: It would just right. make more sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would she stand straight on that and they like, and now to protect you, here's cloth. <laughs> That'll stop... Here's a leather trench coat. It wouldn't be
4: the first time that somebody (laughs) said, oh, she can just wear her heels into battle, you know? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I, I do like the outfit. Whenever I see her wearing other stuff later, it's always takes me a second to sort of adjust and remind myself. Oh yeah, this is Gamora. She's just dressed wrong.
3: She's much more ninja, which is why the cloak thing never worked for me in that look later on. Adam Warlock wearing the cloak makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, he's very dramatic. He needs it. It's great for brooding and sulking.
4: <laughs> yeah, which are two of his
3: biggest jobs. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, he'd be perfect for hanging out with Angel from Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, they both. Have the, you know, he has the big cloak. He has the big cloak. They could sit there and brood and be you know sulky.
1: Yeah, but like her, her more recent looks, like with like the the new G- Guardians of the Galaxy comics, like when she's like wearing like white armored, like knight armor and everything. I just I don't. Then they then it's more about making her a like warrior woman with a big ass sword or something like that, where she's like running out on a field of battle, like she's an Asgardian or something like that. And it's like no, she's an assassin. She uses
3: stealth and guile. That's one. That's one of the reasons I was thinking of. I realized I thought of that. The whole two Gamoras. Again, like I said, that's more neb. I mean, if you thought of the characters mm-hmm. in the movie, that would be more like what Nebula would do. Yeah, yeah. But again, yeah, that's a good point. Which it's funny that they use her, and I, now I understand why. You know. I, it makes sense why they used Nebula so much in the movie and why they brought in this whole story of them being sisters because mm-hmm. it's almost like they wanted to do Gamora, but they like both versions. Like, well, you know what? <laughs> and for once, Nebula is actually interesting to me because yeah. Nebula from before you know, it was just boring space pirate. I mean, like nothing was interesting about her as far as I was concerned.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll see where they go in the movies um, between Infinity forward. Gauntlet and Avengers 4. I don't want to do too many predictions. I mean, the movie is a month away, so we'll find. Out. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil too much. Um, I am not expecting all of the Guardians of the Galaxy characters to make it out of this. I would not be surprised if Nebula dies in the Avengers movies. Um, I think Drax might be in danger too, um, but I think we will see. I think Gamora will live because I think she's been a Central part of this, and I think James Gunn will want her for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in 2020, which he has, I think, all but confirmed that Adam Warlock will be introduced in that. We got the teaser well, yeah. at the end of, of Guardians 2. I think he's pretty much said Warlock is in Volume 3. Um, well, he was going to
3: part- have him in Volume 2, so yeah, yeah, and he just will yeah, yeah, just go story over
4: you know. no from 2 and yeah. over 3.
3: So, so, so my cool. thing about that, yeah. real quick, about that is. Here's, since Guardians Volume 2 only took place a few months after the first one, they could still all be in Guardians 3. It all might just end up taking place before Infinity War still. Because that was like three years ago it took place. That's true.
1: I would be very skeptical if they did that because,
4: hmm. There's some marketing and branding problems with that as far as just like, not the audiences are dumb right but it's still going to be like we just saw that character die how are they in the next movie
1: right it seems like so far everything has about been has been about pushing them forward and like furthering mm-hmm. the story i'd be surprised if they went backwards. it's it, they could it, it could be possible it's also possible that aspects of the infinity gauntlet or the infinity stones will kind of screw up the timeline and and the reality after the movie so we never know
3: but Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, just because everyone's dead and dead at the end of the movie, whoever dies from because what they said about it, yeah, anyone who dies in this one is dead. But that's just for this movie. They never said they're also, you know, they're not going to be brought back in the next one because they might go with like the you know original Infinity Gauntlet where everything got wiped away at the end and everyone got brought back. From
1: from everything that I've heard, like James Gunn, after the third Guardians of the Galaxy, he's pretty much kind of closing the book on those characters. I'm I'm hoping he does leave some of them wiggle room if they need to come back for whatever reason because, you know maybe maybe audiences will like Warlock enough that he can spin off and he can get his own series his own franchise of movies after Volume Three, and maybe Gamora will still be around maybe Zoe Saldana will agree to come back for one of those and we can see Warlock and Gamora and Pip the Troll in in Warlock's
3: own movie. Uh, we gotta get we gotta call Gilbert Gottfried then right John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we've determined that gilbert Gottfried is the perfect voice for pip the troll
1: i can see that i can or i can hear it rather yeah well uh those were pretty much the points that i wanted to hit upon so um that's gamora the more or less deadliest woman in the galaxy um <laughs> thanks for thanks for being on this episode guys this was great love talking about the character with you guys al where can people find you online or in the podcastosphere
3: and for podcasting, there's two places to find me. There's, of course, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or ResurrectionsAdamWarlock.tumblr.com is the main page for it. And, of course, uh, well, there's a Twitter feed as well, at Adam Thanos Pod. Talk to me about comics there, because that's what it's for. And then I have a second show that I started recently called the uh, Pop Culture Palace Presents, which is kind of a bit of a hodgepodge of, like, a few different shows that I don't have time to do separately thrown together. And some of the most recent stuff we did, we had, well, John... And uh, W. Blaine Dowler from the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvel Comics podcast, if anyone's listened to that. And uh, my other co-host, Brian Zeno, we did a whole like, three-hour conversation debating and talking about the different ages of comics. Mm-hmm. So Golden like, Age, gold Silver Age, star, yeah, Bronze yeah. Age. Like, what makes the different ages, and also what do we feel would be more or less the beginning and ending of these? And also getting up to the point eventually of editing that of what we talked about, what came after bronze, because hmm. it can't be modern for the last 40 years. It
4: was, uh, that discussion took some surprising turns. That's happened to be part of it.
3: Hey. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And actually the uh, episode on the Silver Age one should be coming out around this time, this month in April. So just go to uh, Pop Palace, thepopculturepalace.com and you can find it on there. John, what about you?
4: Um I have, after 18 months away from the microphone more or less, um, other than co-hosting and guesting and stuff, I have dived back into podcasting. So um, if you go over to makehoursmarvel.com, there is a trailer available for the show that I'll be launching on April 27th, the night that a- Avengers Infinity War starts. Or, or rather, the date starts because because mm-hmm. my show will be up before the the theater's open. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's make hours Marvel, and what that is is that is my good podcasting friend Michael Kaiser, and I are going through the Marvel universe uh, as many comics as we can talk about in an hour every Friday. Nice. So, you know, as as it's two, three, four issues in an hour, we. Are cranking that out once a week, every Friday. Is it so, uh, is it go index
1: show some. or just kind of random whatever Marvel you want to talk about?
4: Or? Index show, okay. index show. So we uh, we start with Fantastic Four number one. We brought in the Hulk. We're currently uh, just crossed the in the in our recording sessions as mm-hmm. we're recording this. We've crossed over into where they have you know there four different monthly series going on at the time. We're about to get to the Spider Man issue in our recording. So yeah, you know, we're so just cranking like, all through them. Three years. 1960, yeah, we're in 62,
1: about to go into 63. Cool. Very cool. Well, again, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you guys about this. Al Sedano, John M. Wilson from Resurrections, the Adam Warlock Thanos podcast. Thank you very much for being on this episode of Power of Fishnets. People, we are going to take a short promo break right now. I might just play a promo for – I might just play the promo that John mentioned. Uh, When I come back, I will address your listener feedback from the last episode. Don't go away.
4: Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So... To celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no. We're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show... Make ours marvel.
2: Hello everyone, I'm Al Sedano, host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Over the last few years, this show has covered Adam's life. From his early appearances in Fantastic Four and Thor, to his run as Space Jesus on Counter-Earth. Now, we have made it midway through the 1970s in Jim Starlin's iconic run on the character. The Magus, Gamora, Pic the Troll, and Adam finally meeting Thanos. Speaking of Thanos, we haven't forgotten about him. We will soon be starting our coverage of Starlin's hardcover graphic novel, The Infinity Relativity, starring Thanos. So join me, along with my regular co-hosts, John Wilson and Brian Zeno, as well as others, on Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Found in iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Resurrections at On the last
1: episode of Power of Fishnets, Chris Franklin and Dr. Ange helped me review Justice League of America 161, wherein Zatanna changed her costume for the first time and finally joined the league officially. The first comment on the Fire & Water website, that's fireandwaterpodcast.com, came from Rob Kelly, host of the Film & Water podcast and many, many other shows. Rob said, This issue is one of my favorites, but then, I always loved new member issues of the JLA. For whatever reason, Aquaman hardly ever seems to appear in those issues. He'll be there for the vote and the group shots, but doesn't participate in the adventure. I wonder if every time the team had a membership drive, Arthur would suggest Mira get rejected and then he'd pout. Ryan is right. Zatanna was a welcome addition to the team, but a decade too late. It seems so odd that she didn't join after her multi-comic storyline. Right at the same time, the team needed a woman to come on the team because Wonder Woman was about to leave, back in issue 69. I was never against Black Canary joining, but it took more effort to get her in. Zatanna was just sitting there with nothing to do. Yeah, I've I've said that before, and... I wonder how history would have been different if Denny O'Neill or whoever it was had just thought of Zatanna instead of you know, contriving this whole crossover to bring Black Canary over. Uh, Clinton Robison from the Coffee and Comics podcast said he is looking forward to listening to Rob's MASH cast and my forthcoming Cheers cast back-to-back. Oh yeah, must listen... Not It's um, a podcast equivalent of must-see TV? Must hear... Podcast. That doesn't rhyme, I don't know. Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl left a long comment, basically his commentary track for the whole issue. I am not going to read all of it, just one part where Martin says, please do cover the Sindela storyline. It never occurred to me that you were only doing fishnetted Z-stories, or fishnetted Dinah stories for that matter. I thought The Power of Fishnets was just a nice linking title. Yeah, uh, from the beginning, my agenda was always to focus on the stories when Zatanna and Black Canary are in their fishnet looks, because that's how I prefer them, uh, and I figured there was more than enough material there to keep me busy. But I don't mind breaking that rule if and when the mood strikes me, and I do like the Cinderella saga from Justice League issues that followed 161, so there is a possibility that I will cover those sometime. Sean Ross from Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond, which is part of the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, said, This is where my Zatana knowledge began, so this episode took me back. Sad to hear the show is on hiatus, but you deserve a huge pat on the back for all the material you covered. I laughed, though, when you listed all of the things you could devote more time to if the show went on the back burner and never mentioned your kid. I am exactly the same way. I can tell you the exact issue we learned that Black Canary is her own daughter, but I sometimes forget to give my daughter her lunch for school. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, good point. Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom and DCOCD podcast said, Looking forward to the next iteration of this show, The Power of Boob Windows. And this begat a fun little thread involving Siskoid and Chris Franklin suggesting more podcasts dedicated to comic-specific fashion accessories like bucket boots, boob windows, and fingerless gloves. And finally, Ward Hill Terry talked about how he first learned of Zatanna through ads for DC Superstars of Magic, and then over time hearing her name mentioned in back issues of Green Lantern, The Flash, and Hawkman. Then he finally met her in Justice League of America 161. This appearance was a big surprise, Ward said. In fact, I remember a letter from a fan berating Jerry, Dick, and Julie that said effectively, this is not what we were promised. Consequently, I didn't enjoy this or the Cinderella stories very much, and found them kind of confusing. I truly enjoyed Zatanna later as a team member, when her powers were limited or defined as elemental. I have really enjoyed this look at the Princess of Prestidigitation, Ryan. I look forward to whatever you decide to do in the podcast realm. Well, thank you very much, Ward. Thank you all. Everybody who wrote in and left a comment on the website, thank you everybody who liked or shared on Facebook and retweeted on Twitter. Uh, All of the support that I get for this podcast is very much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this special foray into Marvel's Realm of Fishnets for this episode. Uh, Thank you very much to my co-hosts Al Sedano and John M. Wilson for their appearance. Love talking about Gamora with them. Hope everybody who listens to this is planning to see Avengers Infinity War. Hope Gamora does really well in that. Uh, If you do like this episode, then good news... Next time, I'm going to be doing another Marvel special episode of this podcast featuring a rare appearance by Janet Van Dyne, the Winsome Wasp wearing fishnets. Stick around for that one. It should appear, I don't know, later in the summer, closer to the drop of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Until then... Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Since I make no money off this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening.
0: That's right.